Welcome to the Water Society. I'm Ann Bryant, and this is a podcast about people on the water. My guests tell me stories, and you get to listen in. In this episode, we hear from Joe Filipowski, a college dropout who found his way into boat building and realized he's got a penchant for memorizing long maritime narratives. He also strongly believes that he's been reincarnated into this form, but we'll get to that. Water Society is sponsored by the Acadian, offering leather and wooden goods crafted in Maine by Chris and Carly Cavallari. The Acadian makes wallets, journal covers, cases, and bags, but I'm very excited about the lovely wooden pens Chris makes with wood salvaged from boats. If you're doing a boat refit or building new and want to honor your project with keepsakes for you or friends, it's possible to send wood to Chris for him to turn into special writing implements. Go to theacadian.me to learn more and to get in touch with Chris. Imagine you're at a maritime museum and you come upon a man in a costume who looks like he's straight up walked out of a time machine and is reciting a long piece of maritime prose over an instrumental version of a sea shanty while standing on a 5 by 7 rug laid out as a stage and there's an incense burner with a couple ounces of star smoking off to the side to complete the effect. Joe Filipowski did that as a job for a while, but he got there in a very roundabout way. He comes to my town every summer to take classes at the Wooden Boat School to learn things he already knows. He'll stay for a few weeks and take a couple of classes to sail and build boats. His eyes glitter, and he's a troublemaker. If you're around him for more than five minutes, you'll end up hearing one of the many pieces of maritime literature that he's memorized. When I cornered him at the end of Week Lobster Bake at the school, I let him just take off on his own meandering pace with a beer in his hand, in a field, at the edge of Egamogan Reach. My name is Joseph Francis Peter Filipowski, and I am a 72-year-old reincarnated sailor. My earliest memories are of sitting underneath my sainted mother's Singer sewing machine when I was about knee-high to a grasshopper, and my mother, probably out of self-defense because I was such an industrious young lad, gave me a pad of newsprint paper, probably 14 by 18, and a pencil as big as my thumb. And the first thing that I did was to draw a three-masted, full-rigged ship Pulling by, outward bound on a falling tide, coming under a suspension bridge, which I suspect might have been on the west coast. So my mother kept that for many years, and I don't know where it is now, but that's my earliest memory as a lad. I went on from there with efforts to build boats in my backyard, 
I knew that you needed to have a platform to build them on. So I found some stakes in my father's wood shop, and this is about age five, I guess. And I had a wee little sister, Jeannie, poor young lady. And I had one of dad's 12 ounce ball peen hammers and I knew that you had to drive the stake straight and then I was going to put laterals, horizontals, and then I was going to build the boat on top of that and this was the beginning. And, uh, and I'd asked Jeannie, poor unsuspecting young lady, to help me and she did. She put her thumb on top of the stake and reprobate that I was, I came down with a 12 ounce ball peen hammer and her, in spite of her career in, in medicine, her, 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 her left thumb is still a little tiny bit broader at the end than, it, than, than would have <laughs> naturally occurred. So Lord love her, God bless her. So that put a rapid end to that boat building project. So I went on and then somewhere in high school had a buddy whose father had access to the mob jacks that we could sail out of Norfolk, uh, NOB Norfolk, the naval, naval base. And we proceeded to go out there and drift around and uh, not do much sailing but we did a lot of drifting and the fuse was ignited to read and I found Chappelle and I'm reading Chappelle voraciously and fascinated with the lines drawings and the offsets and sail plans and attempting to figure it out and on and on and on and uh, went through college uh, to my junior year at Old Dominion it was Old Dominion College at that time and I was a voracious reader from an early age and by college I certainly didn't know it all but I I, I had a handle on it <laughs> and uh, and I recognized that uh, some of my professors I was concentrating on history primarily history and psychology and some of my professors were uh, of the opinion that people of color really couldn't learn and I'm going, I don't believe this. I don't believe that I'm in academia and I'm actually hearing this. So young and foolish as I was in frustration and anger and irritation, I quit, uh, dropped out of college. And uh, I was a young, I was, sort of, I was a young newlywed about that time. And, uh, I found a lovely young young lady, Miss Patricia, who uh, thought that I had some redeeming social qualities. 
and uh, Lord love her, God bless her, she's stuck with me these last 50 years. We just celebrated our 50th. That was last week. Yes, yes. There's a story therein that I'll tell you later if it's of any interest. And I was pursuing, after dropping out of college, I went to work as a carpenter's laborer and mucked around in the wintertime in mud up to nearly up to my knee and moving hacks of plywood from one site to another and quickly decided that there was a better route here than, than doing that. So I went to the library and got the U.S. Navy Builder's Manuals first through Chief and took those home and, and, and read, read those and said, okay, I think I can do this. And my father was, my father, uh, Adam Filipowski, was uh, a brilliant practical engineer. He worked avionics, electronics with the Navy. And he also, because he had Polish, um, he was the liaison in between Naval Air Rework Facility and old man Igor Sikorsky. So uh, dad's uh, therapy hobby was woodworking. So we always had a shop at the house. And dad was a pretty accomplished woodworker, so I learned a lot from him. So I read the U.S. Navy Builders Manuals and, and put together a, uh, a, a team of myself and three of my buddies and we called ourselves the Brotherhood of Wood <laughs> and one of one of the girlfriends uh, drew a tree with three with four knots in it and it was a portrait of each one of us in the knots I wish I had that today because it would be very sentimental and nostalgic but I went on, and uh, I had friends who were uh, buying big old Alden uh, sloops, and cutters, and schooners, and and they were entering into the uh, importation of vegetation trade from the islands, and uh, I helped them with uh, uh, some woodwork repairs on, on board these vessels and learned and learning more and more and more and went on until uh, long and checkered career but somewhere in the 70s I heard about uh, the Norfolk School of Boat Building being formed on the downtown Norfolk waterfront and I said mm-hmm I'm quite interested in this, so a buddy of mine, Gardner Grice, had mentioned it to me, and uh, Gardner had, Gardner's family had a nice, beautiful wooden boat that they'd maintained for years, and uh, so I went down to the Norfolk School of Boat Building and interviewed with Roy D. Alteris, who was the first director, a wonderful old Italian gentleman, and uh, he knew a lot. And we were young reprobates. We were we were wretched. We were absolutely wretched. That poor man. We put him through all kinds of. 
When you say young, where are you at at this point? 20, 24. <laughs> in that range. 24, 25, something so like that. So terrible. And, uh, <laughs> but but I, I was handy in a shop. I, uh, from dad, I knew how to uh, take an old machine and rebuild it, restore it. So because we were Norfolk School of Boat Building, uh, we were uh, tied in on a thread to the city of Norfolk through the Norfolk Redevelopment Housing Authority. And we were setting up a program that was going to have boys and girls from the CETA program, which was the Comprehensive Employment and Training Act at that time. And I think that was President Jimmy Carter. And these young ladies and gentlemen were getting a modest stipend to come to class. So uh, Roy D. Alteris uh, was our director. And we started off, uh, we built a wheelbarrow boat, was our first boat. Mm. And it did, it did float. It didn't didn't sail didn't didn't sail worth a darn, but it did float. And then from I think that's your first hurdle, right? <laughs> and then from and then from there, we built a, uh, we built a strip plank a boat we called Weather Vane, which was 16 foot uh, uh, box keel uh, gaff rig sloop, and that was a pretty pretty good pretty handy little boat and uh, uh, myself and uh, one of my students Mike Hall and I were out in the middle of the, the uh, Elizabeth River one day and we saw a uh, uh, tugboat uh, um, and we saw a ship coming down the channel and we saw the crew of the tugboat running from the shop to the tugboat and we suspected I thought mistakenly that they were going to get underway and go forward and come turn around and come on out into the channel well surprisingly they fired up and put it in reverse and they backed steadily into the middle of the river and Mike and I are out there and we had two knots of wind and here comes this tugboat and I'm going this is you know there's gonna be a wreck and we're gonna be the first ones there and this is not good so I'm sculling with the with the oar as hard as I can and uh, we took her and she was light so you could see the big four bladed prop you know the top tips of the prop like that and I'm going not good not good not good but I was able to get us just enough over to her starboard side where we bounced off and we were probably eight nine hundred pounds and even as small as we were and as big as he was the captain realized he did something so then the, the, the cussing commenced and uh, you know we of course in his view had no right to be out there and uh, Mike who usually carried either a 357 or a 44 Magnum uh, was without without firearm thank goodness that day and uh, so nobody died thank goodness but it was a, it was an as Wellington said it was a near run thing
Well, it's time for Community Muster, where I share a project, event, or place that I hope you'll support with a follow, a share, or with a donation. Joe's about to tell a story about his time at the Mariner's Museum in Newport News, Virginia, which just celebrated a gift that's been made so visitors in perpetuity will enjoy a $1 admission. May every maritime museum be so lucky and so accessible. My local museum is the Penobscot Marine Museum in Searsport, Maine. Look up and visit your local maritime museum. Many are now releasing their schedules for the coming summer season, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere anyway. And I guarantee there'll be something you'll love to take part in. Now back to Joe's story. Enjoyed the tugboats, enjoyed being around the tugboats. And and I liked to, to be on the water more. So I managed to find, uh, to be hired by uh, S.C. Loveland Towing Company out of Philadelphia. Had a bunch of small, uh, what we used to call rule beaters. These were uh, just just under 100 tons, just under 100 feet to go ahead and skinny them under the Coast Guard regulations. And uh, they were built down in Bayou Labatry in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and we used to call them coon-ass boats. And uh, they were fascinating. I had two 1271 Detroit diesels for uh, port and starboard primary propulsion, and I had two uh, th- uh, 353 Detroits for uh, port and starboard generators. And, it's a uh, lot of engine to take care of. It was, and I was uh, I was unlicensed engineer, uninspected towing vessels, and loved it. Loved it. Oftentimes, true story. Oftentimes, I'd be the only individual on the boat who could read and write, hmm. which was wow. struck me as ironic, but nonetheless, I mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah. And. Uh, Joe, how did you come around to the to recitations though? Like, because I know you from now that I, now I know. Like, I I assumed You're, that you, you know, you don't know a whole person's history. Sure, sure. And so I didn't know that you had all, the building and the operation of boats in the background. So now that's making sense. But like, why maritime recitations? I've been in love with the sea since I was this big. Mm. Uh, I can remember as a little, you know, four-year, four-year-old guy, something like that, uh, sitting under the cedar tree in mom and dad's front yard, and and singing these long elegiac dirges of sail and voyage and discovery and death and drowning, and they would just go on for hours, and I was just just entertained with the June bugs and the Japanese beetles in the summertime and I just before I discovered baseball and just loved it so I've been in love with the prose and the poetry of the maritime since since the beginning in I don't remember the time, I was about 29 30 years old a dear buddy of mine Bob Guess who's a retired gyro compass technician at Norfolk Naval Shipyard knew that I loved the prose and the poetry of the maritime and he was out yard sailing one weekend at Chicks Beach right there on on Chesapeake Bay and he found a copy of old Captain Allen Villiers 
The Way of a Ship, 1953, when Captain Villiers retired. And he, gave, he gifted it and gave it to me. He bought it for 50 cents and he gave it to me as a gift and uh, inscribed it. And I read that and in that volume I found the passage which you've heard mm. that addresses the qualities of command and the mm. responsibilities of leadership. And I said to myself, self, this is so good. I must make an effort to memorize this, to share with old and new friends. And I had not memorized anything since seven times seven when I was that big. Didn't even know that I could. But I put my mind to it. I'm embarrassed to say how many times I had to read it before I got it, but I got it. And it goes like this, if I may. He said, there were always plenty of first-class officers, but really outstanding masters, fit to get the best out of a super ship, such as the Potosi or the Preussen, making not only good voyages, but the best possible voyages always. These might be understandably scarce. There has always been more knowledge than men able to make use of it. No creation man has ever achieved is more in the hands of her master than the ocean-going sailing ship. He is more than her brains. He is her character, her resolution, and her hope of integrity. If he fails, she fails. If he does not know his business, it is no use giving him the best ship in the world. If he has a defect in character, in the long run, it will affect his ship and the men in her. The big square rigged sailing ship can be compared to a great orchestra, needing an inspired conductor really to bring it to full life. The wind was the score, and the sails the instruments. Lesser conductors might do something, of course, but in the hands of a real master, the performance could be magnificent. So I was inspired. I, a spark was lit within me, and I said, aha, son of a gun, sacre bleu. I think I can do something with this. So I found very shortly John Macefield's Sea Fever and committed that to memory. And then very shortly thereafter, I found Tennyson's The Voyage, and, uh, which I love. It's a beautiful piece. My wife puts her hands on her hips and, and looks at me and she says, that's so dark, you know, but it's, it's tr tremendous in my mm -hmm. view. And I cast about and I'm, looking for a progressively larger and larger piece. I'm going, this is memorization business. Is there, there, there might be something here. So I cast about and uh, found late one night, E.B. White's The Sea and the Wind That Blows, which you've heard me do. Hmm. And, and I said, ah, this is quite marvelous. This is lovely. So uh, after... E.B. White, I found Joseph Conrad's Rescue from the Mirror of the Sea. And about that time, I was working in my shop. I had about a 5,000 square foot shop over off of Hampton Boulevard in Norfolk. And I was doing boats and I was helping, I was helping a lot of retired military 
officers with their dream boats and a lot of dear friends with their build their retirement boats. And uh, these were lovely. And then through the grapevine, uh, through the grapevine, somehow Mariner's Museum heard about me. And I got a call from Mariner's and two of their uh, department heads, uh, uh, Lyles Forbes and uh, Barney Barnes, Arthur Barnes, who was the director of the education department, uh, came over to my shop and basically we talked and they interviewed me for about two and a half or three hours and we just, I just, we just told sea stories and, uh, and they hired me to come to Mariner's Museum and work as an interpreter in the uh, Chesapeake Gallery and in the small craft collection. And then each day at about 1230, I'd go into the theater and I'd go into wardrobe and I had the wardrobe of the old sailor and the old mate or the old captain. And I had uh, from my wife a little incense burner that I filled with about an ounce and a half of Stockholm tar, and I lit the candle <laughs> under that. And then I had a buddy of mine, uh, Bob Zentz, who's a fabulous musician, a maritime sea shanty, so he, and it was all instrumental, so I had Bob's instrumental sea shanties playing. And then I had access, of course, to the Mariner's Museum, lovely uh, library of I images. So I put together a slideshow that would basically it wasn't like an hour worth of the old courier and Ives uh, drawings and uh, color and black and white images of ships and ships and explosions and fires and sinkings and drownings and it was just grand and glorious and I had a little you know uh, five by seven little carpet that I had and that was my st my primary stage in the in in the front of this theater and then I, I had a little six foot ladder off to stage right so so that I could go ahead and change the elevation I could run up the ladder a little bit and you know and just you know for added emphasis to the audience so getting up in the rigging I so I did that so I did <laughs> I did that for 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 right at right at three years mm. with Mariners it was just it was grand just the grand loved it Mm. And uh, met lovely people from all over, all over, all over the country. Uh, some of whom are still friends, uh, still in touch with today. And uh, from there, I went to. There was a big, there was a big brouhaha over the cost overruns on the Monitor and Merrimack, and that would involved millions of dollars and some presidents. Our vice presidents were escorted out, you know, by officers, and it was that was kind of ugly. And then I saw um, some department heads rolled. So I said, "Well, you know, I think I'll get ready and have my kit pretty well packed up because it looks like this is not going to uh, continue too much longer." So the young lady came to me and said, Mr. Filipowski, I'm sorry, but you, it's, it's Friday's your last day, day, but would you mind doing the Christmas program before you leave? So I did. And uh, from there I went to First Landing Foundation, which was a summer program during the season. And uh, there I was, 
uh, in wardrobe as a, not as John Smith, but as a John Smith type of character. I had researched the body armor and the old, the heavy leather and the padded leather, etc. So I, I had that wardrobe together and I uh, just aggravated and irritated those innocent people for four summers. I so enjoyed getting to know Joe Filipowski better, and I hope you enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation. The Water Society is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, and I'd be over the moon if you left me a review. There will be a bonus podcast released in a couple weeks with more from Joe that you won't want to miss. It includes the story of how he, as an extra, improvised his way into a speaking part in Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. Visit thewatersociety.com to sign up for email newsletters so you never miss an episode. Here's a taste of what's to come. My scene was the 1863 draft riots in New York where I got to come up in back of a federal colonel on a street scene, grab him by the shoulders from behind, spin him around, grab him by the lapels, and bash him up against the wall of this mansion. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I improvise the lines. I'm screaming at him, how dare you bring this horror down upon our heads? And drive him to the ground, and then the, the mob rolled over the poor man and beat the stuffings out of him.